Um, well, good morning. My name is Jarrell. Um, I oversee the middle school, high school, and college-age kids here at Antioch. And it's been about four years that I've been a, able to be blessed uh, within this community. And I just want to say I love you guys. It's great to be with you this morning. Um, and um, so, yeah, we are starting a series today. We're continuing it on uh, the Lord's Prayer. And we have little booklets for you guys. If you don't have your booklet from last week or if uh, it's your first week in our series, we have some ushers that will be willing to pass out our prayer booklets for you. So if you want to raise your hand, if you want one of those, um, it would be really suitable to take notes in, and they're pretty trendy. Uh, thanks, Jason. Um, vintage art in there. So we are continuing our series in the Lord's Prayer, um, which is our posture into the Easter season of the church calendar. And so as Easter people, recognizing that Easter wasn't just a day and an event, but it's actually not it's actually transforming our lives. And so in the typical church calendar, we spend a few weeks after Easter staying in um, the spirit of the resurrection. And so we are learning in this series as a church how to pray. Um, as a student pastor, I interact with students all the time. And one of the things that I, I hear them say a lot is I hear all this time that I'm supposed to read my Bible and I'm supposed to pray, but I feel like I haven't been taught how to do that. Um, and as while that resonates with high school students or middle school students, I feel like as adults, we even can feel that same way. I feel this guilt and this conviction to have a prayer life, um, but I'm not exactly sure what that means. My, my prayers feel awkward. I feel like I stumble through them. Last week, Pete dove into the Luke 11 account of the Lord's Prayer and basically um, proposed that we need to learn how to pray. Um, that we've been taught a version of prayer. And as we look at scripture and we look at um, the Lord's prayer, we can relearn what it looks like um, to pray with the words um, of Jesus. And so we are gonna dive into um, Matthew chapter six this morning. And so this is the second account of the Lord's prayer, the more um, robust one. And so if you have your Bibles, um, I guess if you have your apps, I won't know if you're playing video games or not, but I will trust you that you're not. Um, so growing up, I learned to pray um, from my parents. They taught me quite a bit about prayer. We prayed before um, we ate meals. Um, God is great and God is good, and we thank him for our food, which is a loose rhyme. Um, by his hands, we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Amen. Um, before bed, we would pray, and I would thank God for all the people that um, I knew and loved and my family. And then at church, our church gatherings, we would pray as well. Over time, though, um, we've learned um, ways to pray. I was recently diving into a youth curriculum, and the first line of this uh, curriculum they were trying to sell me said, there is no wrong way to pray. And I said, delete. <laughs> like, we're not going to do that curriculum for our youth group. I feel like there is a correct way to pray. Um, it's not just talking to God, and let's look a little bit about what that is. Um, so I have this slide that shares a little bit about um, ways that we have learned to pray. They're kind of funny. Um, the first is popcorn prayer. You guys know about this, where we're all in a circle with our eyes closed, and then popcorn means like anyone can pray at any time. <laughs> you know, and you can actually pray again if you already prayed one time. You can pray, you can come back and you can pray again. Um, the second one is clockwise prayer. This is where one person starts and then like the next person goes because they're right beside them, and then the third person's like, well, I gotta go in order now. <laughs> and then it gets to you and you feel this obligation uh, to pray. Gossip prayer. Or TMI prayer is like where you're giving too much information. Uh, your prayer doesn't really seem to be um, praying to God as much as communicating to the other people in the room. Too much information about yourself or gossip or slander about someone else. Uh, the preaching prayer, 
where usually the pastor at the end of the sermon um, finishes, and then suddenly he starts to pray, but it sounds exactly like the sermon he just heard, and he's basically telling you what he already told you in the form of a prayer, like, man, you had time to do that. Uh, the last one was the dear, is the Dear Diary Prayers, where um, you are alone in your room and you are journaling out to, to the Lord. It's a very therapeutic approach. Um, I think we obviously have in Scripture that Jesus says, go quietly into your room and pray. Um, but I think there's kind of this just like therapeutic, like I have like 18,000 prayer journals that are all handwritten um, to God. Um, I'm not bashing that entirely. And then my favorite and one that I'm very good at is the space out prayer. If you're not familiar with this, it's where you set yourself up to have a really good prayer session. You Maybe you, you watch the sunset on a mountain, you go by the river, you go into your room, you light the candle, you're like, all right, I'm going to pray. And then about 30 seconds in, you're thinking about like what you're going to do tomorrow, your bank account, um, like the chores you have to do. And then you come back, and it's basically this continuous cycle of spacing out while you're trying to pray. If you need help doing that, come talk to me. I'm more than happy to show you um, how that's done. So, <laughs> Jesus, uh, the disciples lived in a culture as well where prayer wasn't exactly practiced in similar fashion to the way Jesus practiced it. Um, he talks about in this text introduction um, two ways not to pray. The first would be like the hypocrites, which is praying to impress people. Um, we know that doesn't happen in our culture today at all. People who pray prayers that have very big fancy words and you wonder, are they praying it to actually pray to God or are they praying it just to be heard and feel like they're really good at praying to the people that are around them? Um, the second one would be the, the pagans, which would be praying with many words as an attempt to inspire God's response. And this is something I feel like a lot we do, is we feel like, man, the more I can kind of like reiterate my thoughts to the Lord, the more I can keep babbling on and on, like the more he'll hear me. Um, and we flood our prayers with our own words. Um, and I think that's something that we're guilty of as well today. Well, the disciples recognized a gap between the way they prayed and the way that Jesus prayed. This would have been very obvious considering the amount of time that Jesus actually spent in prayer. My favorite text is all throughout the Gospels. Um, the Gospel writers say things like, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. We have the whole Gethsemane account uh, towards the end of Christ's life where the disciples keep falling asleep. Um, and so there's this very apparent gap between the, the prayer life practice that Jesus had and the, and the prayer life practice that the disciples had or that the culture of the day had, which led them to ask, like, Lord, would you teach us to pray? I think that's the same request uh, that we need to make today um, in our culture. And so as we dive in to uh, the Lord's Prayer, I have this slide that shows maybe just three exhortations about what the Lord's Prayer is. Um, the first is that it's a prayer to be prayed. Like when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, he didn't give a bunch of principles at first. He gave them a prayer. And he said, when you pray, say this. A lot of church traditions and church cultures throughout time have, have engaged in a practice of praying the Lord's Prayer three times a day, in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the night. And that the response of this prayer to the followers of Jesus is that we should actually pray these specific words. This is the prayer we should pray. The second is that it's a model or it's a paradigm for prayer is that we have accounts of Jesus praying not just this prayer, right? It wasn't every time Jesus prayed, this is the prayer he was praying. Um, he had a lot of other prayers, specifically in John 17, the high priestly prayer, which is one of the most beautiful um, portions of our scriptures that we have. It's one, of the, one that's closest to my heart. Um, and we have Jesus praying, but also modeling um, the principles and the culture of this prayer in his prayer. And the second and the third um, it's an invitation to live like Jesus. 
That when Jesus addresses the prayer and saying, our Father, um, he's inviting us into his relationship with the Father. Not just in prayer, but also in life. And that prayer would shape um, our living. And so for Antioch, um, I would love for us as a community of Christians in this town to, to take this seriously and to grow in our practice of prayers. Um, as pastors, we've been diving into this, and you can tell by the liturgies of the Sunday mornings, all the various groups you go to, there might have been prayer liturgies creeping in where we are learning to pray as a community, not just the way our culture has taught us, but the way Jesus has taught us. And so whatever it looks like for you to um, take that seriously, if you need to take notes, if you need to read some books, put it in your own words, practice praying this prayer. And my hope is that at the end of this series, we wouldn't just learn a little bit more about the Lord's Prayer, but we would actually become better prayers. Does that make sense? You guys in with me? All right. That was a very Ken Whitesman thing to say. Does that make sense? You know? <laughs> Forgive me. I'm just kidding. I like it. So the first thing I want to draw our attention to is that we can learn a lot from the structure of the Lord's Prayer. And so a lot of us have this memorized in the King James Version, and there's thines and these and hollowed, and like we don't ever say those words, and so it can feel a little foreign. So I kind of grafted out as a lot of commentators um, believe that there is um, intentional structure to this prayer. And so um, I have a slide here that's showing that. And um, it starts out um, with uh, an address. It says, Our Father in Heaven. And then there are these three, um, they're passive imperative statements. May your name be holy, may your kingdom come, and may your will be done. And then the on earth as it is in heaven is not just a summary statement um, for the third may your. Um, it actually oversees the first three of them as well. And so as you pray, you address the Father in heaven, which we're going to talk about. And then may your name be holy on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And not only is this maybe the center point or the focus point of this prayer, it's also the focus point um, of Jesus' life. And you see him constantly um, submitting to the will of the Father and prioritizing um, the work of the Father before we get to our own requests, which would be give us our daily bread, forgive us our debts, lead us not into temptation, um, and then that famous kind of like all-powerful conclusion line. And so there's a sense where the posture of this prayer is putting like the, the will and the path of the Lord, our Father, ahead of our own. And so I think a lot of times our prayers are like we're on like a backpack trip and we're blazing our own trails through the woods and we're encountering roadblocks and we're saying like, Lord, um, I need you to help me move this log, or I need a bridge over this river, or I need a new pair of chacos because mine are wearing out. And um, our requests are like, we are on our own mission, and we're like plowing ahead, and we're looking back or looking up to a, a distant God, and we're saying, would you help me on, with my kingdom, with my will, with my mission? Um, whereas Jesus reorients that, and he says, actually, we are kind of following in the trail of the Lord. And so as we follow his lead, as we follow the trail that he's blazing, we then, our requests then fall into the wake of that trail. And so, and as we're informed by his direction, our requests find place and find meaning and really find um, boundaries on what it means to actually request from God within the wake of God's trail. Does that make sense? Gosh, I did it again. There it is. So there's this quote from David Turner that struck me. Um, and here it is, the Lord's prayer convincingly shows 
that one should not pray primarily in order to receive goods and services from God, but to render service to God. Prayer is not first and foremost an exercise to vindicate vindicate the disciples' causes, meet their desires, or solve their problems. Rather, one's priority must be the promotion of God's reputation, the advancement of God's rule, and the performance of God's will. These three repetitions are essentially one expression of the burning desire to see the, fa- to see the Father honored on earth as he is already honored in heaven. We recently went through a series with our high school students called Praying the Psalms, and the backbone of that series um, is what I told them is this, is that prayer is not forming God to your will, but forming yourself to God's will. And so we've, I think it's just so much part of our culture. Is prayer is like closing your eyes and just saying, God, we need this. Would you help me do this? Here's kind of what I need right now. Could you help this with this person? Um, and it's kind of an effort to steer God's actions to align with kind of our posture. And there's certainly a place for that, as we can see in the structure of the Lord's Prayer. Um, but as when we begin with praying, like, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. May your name be made true and right and glory, glorified on earth as it is in heaven. It aligns our hearts uh, to submit to the posture um, of the Lord in the prayer. And this can sound um, maybe somewhat um, confining, that like, man, why would I really start my prayers like that? But I feel like it's, it's liberating. And as much as we would think that um, when we first step into prayer, like our desires and our needs should be at the forefront, I look to the Garden of Gethsemane and see Jesus in the most um, excruciating time of his life praying, Father, may your will be done in this situation. Here's what I want, but may your will be done. Um, I think um, we can see that as a model. And the last thing I want to say just by way of introduction um, to this text is, is that we are actually kind of praying a prayer that's bigger, um, bigger than us. When we say, our Father, may your will be done, may your kingdom come, we, re- we can kind of recognize a disparity between where our hearts are really at and the words we're saying. And I think in our culture, we've come to want to pray very authentic prayers, if that makes, if that makes sense. And so we feel like the, the prayers we pray should be true of what we feel inside. Whereas I feel like Jesus is calling us to pray prayers that are true of what we will become ultimately, holistically. And so it's like we're putting on shoes that are too big, but we're going to grow into a, a suit that's too formal than our lifestyle, but that we will one day wear. And so I have this picture um, of me growing up. This was my childhood. Um, in case you're wondering, on, on the left is uh, my dad. My dad's KX125, if anyone cares. I think that's the late 80s, 89 maybe, um, 88. And so I think I'm four or five there and sitting on our, sitting on his dirt bike. And so um, one of the things we used to do growing up is sit on our dad's dirt bike and pretend to ride it, right? We would make noises, we had dirt bike toys, and we would make tracks. Basically, my whole life growing up was about dirt bikes, um, so if you want to know something about me. Um, and what's interesting is I'm wearing, like, my church outfit. I'm pretty sure that's the Easter suit my grandma got me one, time, one year, and it's like, before church, what are you doing? I'm going to pretend I'm riding dad's dirt bike, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then as we got a little older, he got us this thing that was called the Wild Thing. It's a Honda MR50, also from the 80s. You can tell it's super old, um, and I'm totally geared up, ready to go. Um, and so what you see is in, in my life, I almost, I, I wore bigger shoes than I was ready for, but what that did was it, it curated my heart to be ready for what I, was, what I was going to be one day. 
Um, I'm not a professional motocross racer, despite my desires um, and my obsession. But um, I think that's, that's the way we pray this prayer, is not that, God, we know what it means that you are Father, that, that at the base of our hearts we, we mean this prayer. We're saying that we, we want to mean this prayer. Like, would you shorten the gap between what we feel inside and what this prayer is praying? And so we can dive continuously into this prayer by looking at the beginning. Um, and I just have the first two lines this morning. So the introduction and then the first, um, hollow would be your name, which is an interesting thing. And so I want to start by looking at the address, um, our Father in heaven. The idea that we would say our Father, according to Jesus, um, is an invitation into his relationship with the Father. And so as we know, our paradigm for salvation isn't that we believed in a formula for salvation and then we get to float up to heaven when we die, but rather that we are united to Christ and his position as um, a loved son of God in communion with the Trinity, blessed and loved, is now our position. And so we are adopted into the family of God. And so when Jesus says, pray our father, he doesn't just mean like Antioch, like all of us have God as our father. He's saying, you also now have my father. That when you say our, you are actually including Christ within your prayers because you have the position of Christ as an adopted son um, and as an heir of the kingdom. And so what's interesting is when we talk about um, fathers, I feel like, um, uh, yeah, as I work with students, um, a lot of issues that we talk about come, come back to their relationship with their father. And um, I'm about to be a dad in about five or six weeks, so we'll see how that goes. I'm really nervous, yeah. Um, and I think there's just a weight of what does it really mean to be a father? And you hear kind of these stories of um, maybe like mental or emotional kind of baggage that we carry um, because of a father figure that wasn't the father figure um, that we want. And so I know that for many of us to address God as father doesn't necessarily bring up um, the warmest of emotions within us, but I feel like um, Jesus offers us um, a right understanding of what it looks like um, to relate to the Father. And um, the first I want to say is that there is unity and there is not hostility, but that we're on the same team. One of the things that I've been doing for my own personal life recently is before I pray is to remind myself that like we're on the same team. And maybe that's like theologically like a stretch to say that, but it, warm, it just like calms me to say like God is not hostile to me. He's not about my worst interest. He doesn't misunderstand me. We don't have um, a history to clarify. Like we're on the same team. We have unity. And Jesus marked his ministry by relating to his father. Um, here's, here's a quote that I want to read to you. Jesus, ex Jesus explicitly marked his ministry as an expression of his relationship to the father. And this was the guidance behind his entire life. There is a direct line between the will of God as Father and the life of Jesus as Son. So we have a Father who knows what we need before we ask him. Why? Because, because he is blazing um, the trail. And not just in this therapeutic sense that like, man, I just need God to kind of like be there for my own kind of emotional therapy. But that like, isn't it reassuring to know that when you pray to your father who loves you and knows you as his child, that you can rest assured that he knows what you need and he has your best interest in mind and he has um, your back. And so um, if prayer is simply talking to God, 
we abandon the silence and the space to hear from him and steep in what we know is true of him in our world and us. Uh, we force God into a one-way conversation, and at that point, we are no longer praying. If we're supposed to align ourselves with the Lord, we need to have space um, to do that. Secondly, Jesus is, is the image of the Father. And so if you're thinking, you know, what is God the Father like? All you need to do is ask, what was Jesus like on earth? Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He hung out with the, the marginalized of society. All were welcome. And I think the picture that most reassures me that we had a sermon on recently is uh, the woman at the well. And you have this woman that is kind of like, um, has, has committed a fault, but is also within the, um, within the faults of all of those around her. And the way Jesus talks to her, interacts with the crowd, um, shows this balance of empathy and care, but also exhortation. Like this is the type of father that we pray to, um, because this is the type of God that Jesus um, images while he's on earth. Another um, interesting thing with the idea of father is when I was growing up, I had a lot of friends that um, would begin their prayers by saying, Daddy. Have you guys ever kind of encountered that? Or pop, Papa, I think, is maybe a term. And um, this is kind of the theology has kind of trickled down from the idea that um, the, the Aramaic word Abba kind of has this um, daddy-like connotation to it, very intimate. Um, it's like you and your daddy reading like the storybook by the fire, and it's warm, and it's cozy, and he's got Evan's beard, you know, and it's like exactly what you want. <laughs> um, that's what I want, Evan. And so, um, talk to Kip about that. That's funny. Um, and so, I think we have this, um, we're wondering about the tension between reverence um, and awe, between, am, am I approaching God with a sense of fear? Am I approaching God with a sense of intimacy? I don't think, I, I don't think daddy is maybe the best way to go about saying that. I don't know. I don't want to offend anyone. I think it's a little bit sentimentalized, and I think our idea of father does include intimacy, but it also goes so much beyond that. I think it goes into apprenticeship. So when the disciples heard our father, they would have, they would have understood themselves to be then considered apprenticed sons, that if you think about it, as you grow older, you don't just want your dad to be someone that snuggles up to you by the fire and reads, you know, Clifford the Big Red Dog. Like, you want him to teach you things. You want him to be strong for you. Like, you want him to equip you and send you out and carry on the family name. And so I think of, a, like, a wood shop where it's like your father is there like, this is the way you, this is the way you should hold, hold the boards. Like, this is how you sand. This is how you make a joint. Um, and, yeah, a wood, a wooden joint. Um... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it didn't come out the way I wanted it to. Um, <laughs> there you go, that was your phone. I think this is an invitation into our own apprenticeship with the Father. And the prayer, the Lord's Prayer makes a whole lot more sense when we have joined the Lord um, on his mission. So every Monday night, we have anywhere from 25 to 35 to 45 high school kids show up to our um, place across the street, and we have about six or seven leaders there. Um, we have a little bit of hangout time. We play some type of community activity to get to know one another or reflect on life. We have a discussion in some small groups, and we go home. But uh, on the bookends of that kind of program is a very relational posture between our leaders and our students. And every single Monday, I have multiple high school students come to me, and they 
they just kind of share all that's going on. And it's really beautiful that we've created a safe place um, for our students to be able to relate um, to trusted leaders that are part of our community. Um, and so as I hear their stories about um, their trials and the tribulations and all that's going on, and um, typically there are tears, and um, man, I drive home and my heart just breaks. And I'm, I'm so grateful that our community can be a light to 50 or 60 high school kids in this city and care for them, but, but there's like a weight that I carry. Um, I feel their pain, and so when I go home, I'm like, what am I supposed to do about this? And I open up the Lord's Prayer, and my heart like yearns to pray the words, would your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? Like, would your will be done in this kid's life? And would you make right the things that are made wrong in, in their existence? And so I think the more that we partner with God on his mission, the easier it is and the more true it is to pray this prayer of apprenticeship, calling God our Father. Um, the idea of our Father being in heaven could maybe kind of like conjure up pictures of um, God floating around up in the clouds. And if you're part of Antioch culture, we actually believe that God is on a mission to bring heaven to earth, like as we see um, in this prayer. But um, this is a reference to scope and capacity, that we don't just have a Father who knows us and knows what we need, um, who has that intimacy and we have that reverence, we have that apprenticeship. He's also a God that can accomplish what we're asking him to do. Um, these passive imperatives that we find in, in the text are saying, you do this. Like, God, you bring your heaven to earth. Um, and so to do that, we need a heaven-sized God. Um, and we say that in, we inviting God into um, earth, like, as in our own hearts, our own relationships, our own city, our own families. And so we're asking our Father, who has the power of heaven, the presence of heaven, the authority of heaven, to actually do what he will do, which is bring heaven to earth. Looking at the first uh, imperative there, um, it's a little interesting the way we broke it up, because um, I only have the first one rather than uh, all three, which is, you just have to come back next week, you know? Um, this is where it gets a little tricky. I want to just dive into this a little bit. I think it's beautiful. Hallowed be your name, or a lot of us have it uh, memorized in the King James Version. Hallowed be thy name. You know, it's like, oh man, I don't know. It just doesn't really feel like anything to me when I say that. Like, what does it even mean? Hallowed be thy name. Um, Halloween be thy name. I feel like there's probably like some kid that says that, you know, because he doesn't know what's going on. Um, the name um, in Scripture and throughout the narrative, God is... In, important one's name references who you are. And so for the name of God, that's who he really is, to be kept holy or to be holified or to be made holy means that it would be, that it would be real, that it would be honored, that who God really is in our understanding, in the way the world works, in how we talk about him and praise him, um, and not disgrace him, that that reality would actually be true on earth as it is in heaven. May your name be kept holy on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, may you make your real self known, make yourself praised, make yourself experienced, may who you really are crash into our world. Um, if you've ever known someone really cool and you're trying to talk to them, uh, to them with someone else about them, 
Um, you might say something like, man, I just wish you could meet this person. You would see how kind they are, how loving they are. I think you guys would really get along. I mean, that's kind of the, the posture of this prayer. May your name be, hol- be holy on earth. We're going to our neighbors. We're even going to ourselves. Um, we're going to the broken systems of this world. And you're saying, man, I just wish you could meet the Father. I wish the reality of who he is would be holy here on earth as it is in heaven. And we're actually praying that prayer back up to God, not just saying like, we're gonna do it for you, but like, would you do what only you can do as our Father in heaven um, by making your name holy on earth? It's really interesting as I looked into the prayers of Jesus, how often he prays that God's name would be glorified on earth. It's incredible. Next time you read through the gospels, you're reading through the words of Jesus, recognize how direct Jesus is in this. And one of, one of the best um, is in John 17, where he actually unites himself to the glory of the Father. Um, he says this, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is, is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you have sent me to do. I think this is an invitation for us as well in our prayers to invite um, the reality of God into our lives and into our hearts as we see the, the gap between where our world is at and where heaven um, is. And I think this is also a call to the church that um, as we look at the church as an expression of Jesus on earth as his body, as the temple of God, the place where heaven, heaven meets earth, and, and throughout the Old Testament, the temple was always the place where God dwelled, um, and it was, it was a light to, um, into the desert for Israel. And so as the church, I think it's our call to join God on this mission of making his name holy on earth as it is in heaven. And so... Um, My proposal is that the church, as ambassadors and as the temple of God, should be the place on earth where the Father in heaven is kept most holy, most true, most realized. Our witness to the world is a beaming light, an invitation to our Father in heaven. And that's my prayer for us, Antioch, not just that we might grow in our prayer, but that this little community of Christians in Central Oregon that as we gather together, as we interact, like as we, cre- as we work together as apprentices with the Father to bring heaven to earth, that the world might look at us and say, wow, like, like the God of those people is someone that I want to meet, right? And is that like our expression of love um, towards one another and towards the world, that the goodness that they, that they see within our community would be attractive and that our witness wouldn't just be like these like, weird, like, hey, you should really believe in Jesus because I do, you know, that kind of thing. Like, it should just be, in, like, unmistakable, like Antioch, boom, beacon of light, a place where God's name is kept holy on earth. Um, and I, I'm actually really encouraged as, as a pastoral team, we go each week and we give updates on um, all of you and what we as a community are doing in the city with one another, caring for one another, rejoicing and mourning with one another. And we're doing it. Like, it's awesome. I'm excited to be a part of this church. Um, and because after all, 
the good news that we're representing, heaven meets earth, isn't just um, systems being made new, isn't just our sins forgiven, isn't just our lives kind of working out into like an Eden. It's the presence of the Father himself, is that our reward for adoption and union with Christ is to receive God himself. And so as we address our Father in heaven, we are recognizing that we already have a we already have that relationship with the Father. We are joining him as apprentices on his mission. He knows what we need. We're praying in the wake of his will, of his power, and his desires. Um, and we're inviting him to do what only he can do, a heaven-sized redemption of our world where he brings heaven to earth, his kingdom, his name um, would be honored. And so, Antioch, I invite you um, over these next couple weeks uh, to join Jesus on his prayer-centered relationship with the Father. Whatever it looks like for you um, to take kind of an account of your prayer life. How are you doing? How often do you pray? What do you say? What is it like? Do you fit any of those kind of cultural prayers that we kind of chuckled at? Um, I, I do. I'm like half of those. <laughs> and so um, as we dive into this series, I would ask that we as a church would begin to practice praying like Jesus, a prayer-centered relationship with the Father. Secondly, um, let prayers shape you. Um, I talk with our college kids a lot about um, the, the tension between the, litur- the liturgical prayers that we pray. So, man, it just feels inauthentic to pray these pre-written prayers and sing these kind of pre-made songs. And I, I don't see that in the Lord's Prayer. I see us praying the words that God gave us that we might be shaped and that we might be formed. And so find the prayers that you need to pray, whether it's from the Psalms. Antioch has a couple different prayer booklets we can read. I would encourage you to pray the Lord's Prayer multiple times a day and just see what it does in your heart. And then as we do that as a community, I pray that um, we would allow the identity of God and the will of God to blaze a trail for us and to buffer our personal requests so that within the safe ballpark of the will of God, that our heartfelt requests would have have a true, loving, heavenly Father to hear them, to understand them, um, and to love us as his adopted children. Could you, could you do that with me? All right. Let me pray for us. I'll try not to do any of those weird prayers or preach at you when I pray. Um, and then we will conclude with um, a time of worship and response where you can um, worship God through your offerings. And then I invite you all to come to the communion table and recognize that you are dining at the table of the Father who knows you and who loves you. Our Heavenly Father, would you make your name holy and true on earth as it is in heaven? Would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? And would your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? Amen.